Oh, and welcome back. It's the Season of Sam podcast. I'm your host, Yogi Roth, always joined by co-host Sam Darnold. And today is a sweet one, man. I mean, we got a great week. We got Dr. Michael Gervais, high-performance psychologist, tight end Daniel Emanuel, baby. And it's UCLA week. I mean, I don't know how much better it can get. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than this. Uh, super excited to interview Dr. Gervais, too. I know I spent a little bit of time with him in uh, 2014 at Elite 11, and he came and talked to us. And just the amount of knowledge that this guy has in sports performance and sport for, sport performance psychology is it's uh he's the best at what he does and I'm excited to listen to what he has to say and gain some knowledge and then obviously Daniel um, being the, the the guy that he is it's always fun to talk to him as well yeah this is going to be unique excited just to listen to how you and and dr. Gervais uh, communicate and the questions and the answers that that you both have but this is UCLA week and <laughs> You know the signs. You grew up around it. The house divided, right? Yeah. I mean, we get it. It's a big deal in L.A. They need a win to go bowling. You guys have clinched the South. You're going to appear in the Pac-12 championship game. Take us inside the meeting rooms right. here midweek as you prepare for the rivalry game. It's a huge week. Um, you know, we like to say every single week's a big week. But, you know, we're not going to lie. When we play, you know, Notre Dame and when we play last week, Colorado for the Pac-12 South championship, um, and then this week, UCLA, it's it's a huge week. And we're aware of the implications that it has. Um, we want to go undefeated for the rest of the season because, you know, not knowing how some of the other conferences are going to shake each other up, you know, we, we might still have a chance at the playoff. Um, so we're just going to continue to try to win every single game. Uh, but, yeah, UCLA, UCLA it's, a, it's a big week. It always is. Um, I'm excited to... You know, not necessarily play against Josh because he's on offense, he's a quarterback, but I'm excited to um, see what, you know, the UCLA offense has in store for us and then also um, their defense with how athletic they are and their scheme, um, how they want to attack us. I think it'll be a really uh, interesting game. You know, it wasn't until the the late 80s, you know, you weren't even born yet, um, when L.A. had two quarterbacks that had as much praise and hype around them as you and Josh Rosen. Do you feel that? Did you sense that at all in this city around that position heading into the year? And now here we are in the final week, at least for you in the regular season. Uh, honestly, not not too much. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, but <clears throat> it's interesting because me and Josh, we, we've texted every now and then. Uh, we're pretty good friends. I mean, we don't have anything against each other. So um, whenever we get the opportunity to um, embrace, you know, whatever each other's go whatever we're going through separately and um now this week we kind of you know clash and you know there's going to be all these storylines in the media and all that kind of stuff but um me and josh just look at it as kind of an opportunity to you know just play football and show show the world what we can do as athletes and as quarterbacks and i think it's going to be a really interesting game to see you know kind of the back and forth and how uh how the flow of the game goes couldn't be more excited for our next guest on the Season of Sam podcast, Dr. Michael Gervais, the world's leading high-performance psychologist. He works with the Seattle Seahawks as their high-performance coach, dozens of gold medalists, internationally acclaimed artists, musicians, an MVP from every sport, and on and on and on, as well as the Elite 11 quarterback competition where, Sam, you got to meet Dr. Gervais. Mike, I'm fired up you're here, and my first question is around high-performance, and you've interviewed hundreds of high performers on your podcast, Finding Mastery, obviously within your profession. And I'm really curious if there is among the elite, and I'm talking the one percenters, 
Is there a common thread in how they deal with high-stakes environments, whether that's in front of 90,000 fans, jumping from space, or surfing 20-foot waves? I'm curious if you found a common thread there. Before we get jump into this, uh, congratulations on both of your successes, and um, this is fun watching what you're building here on this podcast and your body of work um, for what you do you know, on a regular basis, uh, which is different than this. So you know, thank you for having me, and, and I'm looking forward to answering these conversations or answering these questions in this conversation. So is there a common thread? No, not yet. Um, I've been working at trying to understand if there's a common thread for the last 20 years um, through the lenses of psychology. And what I have found are similarities. There are some differences, though, that I think um, we're remiss if we don't talk about. But here's the similarities first. Um, One is that there is no one path to becoming your very best. And sometimes that path is leads to people to be their, the, the world's best, if you will. So there's not one path. There's not seven steps. There's not, you know, a roadmap by any means. But there are some similarities that people that are working to become their very best and sometimes the best, they fundamentally organize their life to grow, to get better. So it is a fundamental organization to strain, to run to the edge of instability, to get feedback on how you're doing to embrace that feedback that you didn't do it right or you did do it well, if that's the case, and to pivot and change. So it it is unbelievable how clear that that thought is after being in the trenches with some of the best in the world for a long time is that the rest of us, we are not organizing our life in that way. We are not fundamentally organizing our life to be uncomfortable, unstable, to be at the edge of our capabilities and to explore at that point. Most of us are, um, you know, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying our best, but our life and our fo- our deep focus to get better is not the primary um, order. Thanks, Dr. Gervais, for coming on, first of all. I know I know you have such a busy schedule and really appreciate your time. Um, I kind of want to just <clears throat> start off by asking how you got into your profession. Um, and was there one specific moment maybe where you realize this is what you want to do? Um, and maybe was it your parents maybe pushing you towards this? Or um, how did you get into it? That's a good question. And so I'll tell a, a short story to get us to that answer. And the, the, the short answer is no. Like the, my parents were not involved in this. And um, <laughs> I didn't even know there was a professional sports psychology. And there was this experience I had when I was younger. And I grew up in Southern California. And my sport that I enjoyed the most was surfing. And there's two types of surfing. There's free surfing and there's competitive surfing. And during free surfing, I felt like I could do whatever I really wanted to do, right? Like I, I could access my craft. I could, I was fully connected. I would be able to take risks and those risks would pay off. And then as soon as competitive surfing happened and I had the opportunities to be in front of judges and uh, friends on the beach and, and family members, I was completely different. My mindset completely changed. And so take you back to it, like what it was like to be a 15 year old kid that knew he could do some stuff. But then as soon as the lights of competition happened, I was a shell of myself and I wasn't as good as I knew I, I normally am. So that led me to believe that there was something about my mind. Matter of fact, a competitor who was uh, much older than me in my heat paddled by me and said, hey, Gervais, you got to stop worrying about what could go wrong. 
because he watched me surf, you know, day in, day out every, every week for the year. And he knew that I was just a shell of myself. So like a good competitor, he didn't tell me what to do. He just told me I was screwed up. <laughs> and so like he paddled back into the lineup and, you know, the competition was still going, but I had this little thought like, okay, he's right. I'm a mess right now. And I'm thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And so I just took a moment, a quick little beat, and I focused on what I would like to see happen and how I would like to feel. And I just started imagining that in the water. And next thing I knew, I was kind of back. And I didn't know what that was about. I had no idea what that was about. But it set me down this path as a 15-year-old kid to say, there's something about how I think that impacts the way that I perform and the way that I do and the way that I live. And so it just set me down that path to be curious about the mind. I didn't even know about psychology at that point. Matter of fact, uh, by the time I took the, my first psychology course in high school, I was awful at it because it was like something I didn't really understand. Freud and Skinner and mm. Carl Jung, I didn't understand them at that time. But now, looking back, it's like that was the impetus for it. And then from that point, Sam, like nobody had to ask me to read another book. Like I was fascinated by it. And um, I went as long and as, as deep into that craft as I possibly could. And I, and still doing it. Like, I, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm just hitting stride now. That's awesome. And you, we talk about a lot here, too, is um, finding ways to keep everything fun and enjoy the grind and enjoy the process. But I know, you know, working with the Seahawks, how do you um, – what advice would you give them or maybe even like guys like Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson? Um, I know you've, you might have talked with Marshawn Lynch a little bit. Um, what advice did you give them in terms of um, handling the grind and making sure that it was still fun? And I know, I know Coach Carroll did a really good job of keeping it fun for his players, but what, what advice did you maybe give them, if any? Yeah, very cool. And I hope this doesn't get complicated, but I don't think that advice is the right strategy to help people grow and so the the shortest answer to your question is I didn't and I don't give advice and I'll tell you why Sam is that um, and I'm not going to skirt the question I'm going to I think answer the way um, you would hope but like when somebody gives and says hey you should um, or I think you'd be better if you would that there's there's in some ways it's so condescending to think that another person could really know what is right. And so my work with people is built on the relationships to try to understand what they are driven toward and driven by, to understand what they're really craving, to understand who it is that they are and who it is they want to become, and then continually nudge and remind them of those thoughts and of those drivers and then help them with some strategies when they're kind of out of whack, you know, to And the way to do that, those strategies or mental skill strategies is we front load the mental skills before we do the test. And so there's four ways to think about growing mental skills. You can talk about them. They're the four T's. You can talk about mental skills, be focused, do imagery, um, you know, believe in yourself. You know, you can talk about mental skills. And then the second T is you can teach the mechanics of them. So what are the mechanics of confidence? And Sam, that's what you and I did at Elite 11, not you and I alone, but you and your teammates on Elite 11. You know, what are the mechanics of confidence? So it's talk and teach. And then you can get into training it and how to train confidence. And then the fourth T is test. We all get tested. Every day we get tested. We don't have to wait for the lights to turn on to be tested, to be our authentic self, to be true to the way 
that we want to be in life. So it's talk, teach, train, and test. So then my work is really to understand the person and help them through that, those four T's so that they do the mental skills work prior to the test. And the easiest way to think about this is a test on Sunday, but the test is always now, right now. Like, are you being your very best right now? And I know you talked about at Elite 11, focusing on the present. How, how important is focusing on the present? But in football, we always, you know, we watch film and we, we try to learn from our mistakes. How do you maybe balance those two things? There, I, there's not one, but there are a few. One of them is fundamentally organizing your life to get better. The second, and those, that involves lots of feedback loops and being vulnerable to not being good enough. And so watching film is part of that, like the evaluation feedback loop. And then your question about being present is really important because that is, I think, the second pillar is deep, 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 committed, all of your essence focus in the present moment. So that deep, enriched focus to be in the present moment on a regular basis is the portal for, for us to be able to express our potential. And so when you're watching film, it's very simple. Be fully present with watching film. Don't look at your phone. Don't try to do homework while you're watching film. Like, can you imagine? I, I know that you're not doing that, but could you imagine if you were trying to multitask at the same time you're trying to get better? It doesn't work. But what the rest of the world is struggling with right now is, and you likely are, Sam, but I don't know well enough, is multitasking. We think that we can get over on having doing multiple things at the same time or shifting back and forth between things. Our brain is not wired that way. We are not efficient. I'm standing on the grounds of really solid science. And deep focus is the opposite of multitasking. Multitasking pulls us away from the present moment, deep, deep focus in the present moment. And it's the... Um, I don't know, it's a crippler of potential because the way that we reveal potential and get glimpses of our potential is when we string together moments, deeply committed, focused moments. And that all happens and only happens in the present moment. And that can be practiced too, Sam, as you know. All, all we need to do is you know, find ways to be committed fully to this one task at hand. And mindfulness and meditation certainly are practices that have been around for thousands of years and science has backing that up in incredible ways as well. Um, so it's not just, let's not just talk and teach about it. Let's actually do the training, right? Mindfulness training, confidence training, imagery training. Um, those are all incredible skills to help people become more present, especially when it's hard, especially when it's dangerous, especially when there's risk involved. And how do you, what are those conversations like maybe with, and I know I keep going back to the Seahawks, but um, what is, what are those conversations like maybe with an Olympic athlete or with Coach Carroll or Russell Wilson in terms of multitasking? Because the fact of the matter is they have to no matter what and um, with all their different responsibilities in life. So um, just give me an example of what um, a conversation might look like with, with those two. Okay, so first and foremost, Coach Carroll's built a culture and has designed a culture that is relationship-based where the person figuring out who the person is, and he's got a phrase for it called learn the learner. And he wants his coaches to learn his learners. And what he's done is built a culture that's based on relationships to help understand who a person is and who they're becoming. 
and then backfill all the technical, mental, and, um, and physical training to support that person to be that person, right? Now, so the conversations are much easier in that type of culture that's built on, you know, the expression of it looks like it's really fun, but it's built on people like loving each other and celebrating each other and trying to figure it out through the bumps and the bruises and the passion that comes with people that really care. So those conversations happen on a regular basis and they sound something like this, like, Hey, um, fill in the blanks person. How you doing? And the person will say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, but you know what? There's this thing that I'm, I'm getting stuck on. And then they say the thing that they're getting stuck on and they say, okay. And say, Hey, have you trained a B or C lately? And those a B and C's maybe are different mental skills. And like, ah, I'm getting away from it. Okay, okay. You're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, okay. And then it's that, it's that quick because we've done all the work ahead of time, right? And the culture sets, does a bunch of the lifting to help people become their very best. And then the mental skills uh, are another part of it that we do in advance. Um, and so, you know, I hope that's not too vague, but in my, in my mind it's really simple. Um, but I hope that's not too vague for you saying. And at no. the same time, same as I answer that, I, I, I'm not going to ever share like intimate conversations that I have with people that are right. uh, have a you know you know what I mean. So I'm trying to be as respectful as I can there. Right. I just kind of wanted to get an idea because I know how complicated <clears throat> Coach Carroll's life is. Um, and then just on top of that, on top of culture building, I want to grab on that, Sam. Is that you know part that that thought is fascinating that like his life is complicated because he's I think if I could speak for him, which is a dangerous thought. And Yogi, you could jump in on this if you if you will. Is that he's worked his like entire life to make it as simple as he can. That every day he's going to wake up, day in and day out, to compete to become his very best and to help others do the very same. And if you, if we're ever confused about anything, that simplicity that is driving him, I think, is at the center of all of his decisions and his actions. And Yogi, I'd love to hear your thought on it because you've got you know a deep perspective there. Oh yeah, I think with with Pete and you know, in, in my experience with the, with the one percenters, Sam, is that they have a really clear definition of what they're about and what they love. And, and to me, the greatest performers have a love that's ridiculously deep for their craft. You know, it's it begins with maybe an enjoyment for football, for instance, for the fans or for the game because it's a lot of fun and people go to the games and you're in high school and you're a baller. And then it's because you're a part of university and a bigger institution than yourself. But when it gets hard, you know, for so for Pete, when you get fired a couple of times, or for you, when you know people talk about it's all, only the turnovers with Sam Darnold, he's having such a bad year, it doesn't really uh, affect you because you go back to the purity of that statement of why you're here, right? The love for the craft that's so deeply embedded into everything that you're about, and and I think when you know a phrase that Mike and I have talked about a lot is the idea of like the lonely work, right? Like, are you willing to do boring things longer? You know, and those things come from a real pure space and a pure element of joy and love. And and, and Dr. Gervais, what, what's fun about this podcast for Sam is that this has been a masterclass for him where he gets to tap into people like you to, to listen to your love for how the mind works. And what I hope happens, Sam, is that it reflects back to you to question, all right, well, what do I love most really about the game? What really drives me right. outside of making it to the league? Because that's a fleeting thought. Yeah, and I think how— You're right on the money with that, Yogi. Like, right, like you—, you Sam, you get to the league, that's not enough. You win, a, you win a game, that's not enough. You win 10 games, that's not enough. You get paid on your second contract, that's not enough. You get your Instagram blows, it's not enough. You know, it never will be. <laughs> Super Bowl, it's not enough. You, you, Yogi, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but this is a great story. 
And so it's after the huddle of our first Super Bowl. Or after the game, first Super Bowl, we're in the locker room. Um, coach brings everyone up, and he says, um, and there's just grins, and people are just feeling great. And he pulls everyone together, and everyone's huddled, and he says, he says, men, we now have what everyone wants. And I thought, I thought to myself, oh, no. Oh, God, no. What is he, what is he saying? And he, he took a minute, and he paused, and he says, because I thought he was going to say something atrocious, like, we now have, you know, the trophy. We now have, like, you know, the, 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 the medal around our neck if you're an Olympian or whatever. And he said, we now have the knowing of what it takes to be our best together. I said, oh, yes. Like, it, was like that. it was a moment like that. Yes, that's it. The knowing of that we have what it takes, the knowing of what it takes, and the knowing that we did it together in a fashion that was meaningful. So, Sam, if I could share one thing to, to answer uh, the lead-off batter question from Yogi is to figure out what you're fascinated by and to see if your craft can unlock that. It's not your craft alone. It's not anybody's craft alone. But the craft becomes the environment for the fascination to be un- better understood. And so for me, the fascination is pretty clear. Like, what, is, what are the threads of people who are changing the world in the right direction? Like, wh- what are those skills and capabilities and patterns that those people have demonstrated? And what does science do to back it up? Because I'll tell you what, in the next – I'll be bold. 15 years. When we think about high performance right now, Sam, and and this is for you, Yogi, as well, like um, we think about eating better. We think about training better. We think about, um, you know, recovering better. We think about mental skills. We think about investing in our craft and working our ass off and being in film and da-da-da-da, all those things, right? That's how we think about high performance, high stress, high recovery, and doing it intelligently on those couple of factors. In 15 years, that's not going to be the case, maybe even 20 years, because right now we're getting into the field of genetic splicing and in Petri, if you want to be the fastest man alive, you know what we're doing right now? We're taking ostrich legs and mixing them with human brains and, and torsos. And that will be the fastest person alive. So, so w- what are we doing about this eating? Well, <laughs> you know, how do you, if you eat the best you can, how are you going to compete against someone that has ostrich legs one day, maybe and we're, they're, they're not, Okay, that's a long ethical conversation. But <laughs> I say that to you to just to jar this conversation. Like that, so it's not going to be about being the fastest. It's about exploring what you're most fascinated in. And right now is a really exciting time for so many people to explore what they're fascinated by because we have more information and access to information than we ever did before. Yeah, and I, I mean, just going off of that, I can, you know, I'm just laying in bed and at night, and I'm just a little bored and. Maybe go on YouTube and I search up, you know, Tom Brady, ways to, you know, stay fit and stay healthy. It's super easy for me to gain access to that type of information. Um, But just kind of changing scopes a little bit here, I just was wondering, I know Yogi asked about the positives in the beginning with all the athletes. What's maybe the, for me, I want to understand what the most, what's the reoccurring flaw you see um, in mindsets regarding some of the athletes that you meet with? Singular focus is one of the things so I said deep focus is one of them, right? Like a deep, committed focus to the present moment. And Sam, that's a skill, right? When your mind wanders, which it does thousands of times a day, um, to have the awareness that it's wandered from the one thing that you're doing, like this conversation, and then to bring it back, like that's a skill. 
what ends up happening for people that are deeply focused is they can also become singular focused. And that single focus, like let's take it out of um, let's take it out of football and talk about the Olympics. And if that single focus is to be the best in the world or to be to get a medal, some sort of outcome-based goal, that the cost is oftentimes relationships, and it begins with their relationship with themselves. There's like a um, a weird kind of sacrifice that people can get into where they will harm or damage or not respect themselves in quest of the final outcome. But certainly there's a cost to relationships um, outside of themselves, which is the, the relationships with loved ones. And there's such a singular focus that if we're not careful, we find ourselves isolated on a journey of fascination. And like I said before, that's not enough either. And so that's one costs, I think, for people that are highly committed is that um, they become more isolated. And if they don't become isolated, that's, that's phenomenal. That's a wonderful thing. And you don't have to be. You don't have to be isolated by any means. It's hard, though. It's hard to be that different than everyone else you know. And if you're the only person in your tribe, your family structure, that has something and seen what that view looks like and knows the strain to get to that view and then the, the, the challenge to get off of the mountaintop, that how do, you, how do you come back to the village and share that when nobody has seen it? It's really hard. Not, not, not to mention that if nobody else is interested in going to mountaintops, then you're considered crazy and different, and that's hard. And so it's like you know, one of the great Stoic philosophers said, no, I'm going I'm to make this more modern. He said, know who you are and dress accordingly. So if you're truly fascinated by something and, you can, and you're fortunate enough to find that, go the distance with it, but make sure that you're also connected to people that want to go the distance in their lives and they love you and you love them independent of the arrival of that fascination. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that, I think that that's, uh, when you ask about the cost, that's one of the, the glaring costs. And I was I was listening to a, a podcast. It was Joe Rogan's podcast, but he he had Sebastian Younger on, and they were talking about kind of like the human experience and where <clears throat> like technology is kind of um, drifting our attention away f- sometimes from uh, things that are more important in life. And um, this dude Sebastian Younger has he still has a flip phone. He doesn't he doesn't allow himself to use an iPhone because um, he thinks that it takes most of his attention away from um, the things that are most important in his life. And I was just curious if you had any thoughts on where technology is maybe, um, serving us good in, in our society and maybe where, um, we can use that ability to refocus sometimes and, um, where we need to, you know, take a break from our phones and, um, understand, uh, understand kind of the balance that we need to have in terms of being on social media and being active in social media, because I think it is a good thing, but at the same time understanding where we need to refocus and kind of come back to reality. One of the greatest costs, and then I'll answer the social media one in a minute, one of the greatest costs for social media is technology in bed. And so with the amplification of digital everything, we now have light. And then from light, we've turned into, um, into more efficient lighting, which has blue light in it. And all of your tablets and digital devices, including your TV, have lots of blue light. And blue light signals something in our ancient brain to say, hey, 
don't make that melatonin. Don't make that sleepy stuff because <clears throat> the day's just getting started because blue light is, is most prominent in the morning when the sun comes up. So if you're looking at technology late at night in bed, it's like this awful thing you're doing to your brain to say, don't fall asleep yet. Right. So we've changed the sundown experience from six o'clock when people started to get sleepy to nine o'clock with lights. And now that six o'clock and nine o'clock have turned to midnight. And what we know from research is that sleep is one of the four pillars for recovery that's foundational. And if you don't get enough sleep, your brain just shuts you down. And, um, but right before that, there's psychosis. And right before that, there's low performance. And so what our brain does in the low performance stage is like if you're getting less than what you need on a regular basis, the brain says in the most amazing way, Sam, it says, oh, okay, so we're not going to get a whole lot of sleep. We need to lower the processing output. So what that means is that our brain becomes suboptimal, but it feels normal. And that's an awful experience. That's not good because you can't tell. It's like how do you boil a frog? You slowly put them in, you put them in cold water and then slowly turn up the heat. That's what we're doing from our brain from a technology standpoint if we're not getting enough sleep. So that's one. That's the easiest low-lying fruit. Get technology out of your bed. Just get it out of your bed. And then the second thing is the sneakiness of technology. So Instagram, Twitter, social media, whatever, fill in the blank. They've got teams, hundreds, hundreds of psychologists, PhDs that are really smart, that have figured out how to work with your brain, and it's not a fair fight. You're competing against hundreds of PhDs. They know that you could attend to anything. A book, you could attend to anything, but they got you. <laughs> All 100 of them or 200 of them on staff at, at whatever platform they have figured out how to get your attention. So it's an unfair fight. So you got to know that. And then how do, we, um, how do we battle that unfair fight? Is discipline, deep focus to the thing that we want to grow most at. And if you want to be famous on Instagram, it's not hard. Right? <laughs> it, it, that's not hard. You, you, you'll figure that out. That, that's, that's simple. And you'll, you know. But if you really want to get better at a craft and you want to experience the joys of life, the thin slices and the amazing joys in life, you don't need people around you, but you do need to be here now and deeply focused, right? And then when you can, when you have around you intimate relationships, it becomes amplified. It's amazing. And then when you get to do it when there's perceived pressure, it changes as well. It, it amplifies again. So how do you do that, Sam? Deep training, deep, deep, deep focus. And Instagram, social media, Twitter, whatever, whatever, is not going to do that. <laughs> but you can use it. Don't be used by it. Don't be used by it. That's, I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah, and I remember our conversations at Elite 11 too. I mean, in our conversation now, it it always kind of came back to being in the present and being um, aware in the now. But um, last question for me um, is how much do you grow and how much do you learn from meeting with your athletes and teams like the Seahawks? Mm, tremendously. I've got this idea that through relationships we become. And so it is inside of those relationships, first with myself, nature, spirit, and others, and, you know, like that's how we grow. And to do that, we have to be open, and we have to be vulnerable, and we have to not pretend like we have it all together. But we, if we're really committed to growing and we're really committed to learning, then, you know, we become explorers of information. We seek that information both from ourselves to reveal what is true for us, how we feel, how we think, and how we behave, 
and then we learn from others as well. So I'm constantly learning (laughs) from, from people. And I feel just blessed and fortunate enough to be around people that are switched on hungry um, to go further and to be more still at the same time. And those are the right combinations, like hard, hard work ethic, deep commitment, uh, genuine interest in doing well in life. And if you can get those things together in an environment, um, it becomes really fun. So thanks for asking that, Sam. And I learned a lot from Elite 11 as well. I learned, I learned more from you guys than you, you would ever really nod your head to. I love it. All right, so Mike, b- before we let you go, uh, this is a team at USC that had a ton of hype in this preseason. Sam was on every cover that was literally in existence in college football. This is a team that has been suitably inconsistent, Sam, if you'd agree with that, right? You had two tough losses throughout the season amid a variety of injuries, and now, Mike, they're on their way back. They're healthy again. They're playing their rival UCLA this weekend. They've clinched the Pac-12 South. will play for the title, and there's even an outside chance at making the college football playoff. So the question is, in your experiences, if you're going to talk to the USC football team, a team that has been really high in the preseason, had the depths and the lowlights of you know multiple losses throughout the season, and now we're peaking again, what would you tell them regarding the most crucial part at the end of the season in terms of maintaining a high level of performance? Because we've seen the potential, just haven't seen it, Sam, necessarily every week from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> and you know how I, I don't want to like, skirt it because I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to say, but I'd say, guys, we, we really should have done this work at the beginning of the year. So because now it feels like patchwork, like, oh, what's the right thing to say? There's no right thing to say at that moment, right? It literally is a Band-Aid. And so that's why we're going to front load the work and do it ahead of time. And the reason for that, guys, is so that we can – we know what the signal is. And so there's that phrase, signal-to-noise ratio, and engineers are looking for the signal, high signal, high signal. And it's the same for humans. We want to get to the signal and ignore the noise. You being on covers, noise. You being whatever blown up in, in media, noise. Uh, who you're playing, UCLA across the way, noise. Get to the signal. And what is the signal? It's you being fully present, grounded, being strong mentally, physically, being nimble mentally and physically so that you can adjust. And then let it, let it go. <laughs> like trust yourself that, that you're going to absolutely train yourself to be in this moment as well as you can to do your very best And when your head hits the pillow at night, whether you throw a pick or you don't or whatever, whatever, whatever happens, that you were fully committed on what you did and you didn't have to step anywhere, but you were bold, you were big, you took up your space, you nodded your head. And in that frame, in that sense, you know that you've given it everything that you possibly could. And that means going into this next phase, Sam, get your sleep right, get your hydration right, get your nutrition right, get to the signal. If that signal is you, if for you a spirit, get connected to your spirit, right? And remember, in this whole kind of conversation that we're having, the perspective is really important. And this, while it seems like it's your entire life, it is just one moment, and for hopefully for uh, a whole future ahead of you. So keep the perspective right. And, and I know the conversation that it's easy to have, yeah, but this is the most important moment. And, and I'll excuse me for this, I'll say bullshit on that. It's not the most important moment. The moment we're having right now is the only one we get. This one, this moment right now is the most important moment because if you don't have this moment, you don't have life. So be in this moment and practice it for the next X number of days 
just like uh, you're hopefully going to do for the rest of your life. Well said. Dr. Mike, thanks for coming on, man. Lots of love. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much, doctor. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And Sam, I love seeing what you're doing. So um, I hope you have a great time on your journey. It's, it seems like uh, it's full. And Yogi, appreciate uh, our friendship. And congratulations on your podcast and all the work that you're doing as well. So thank you guys so much for including me in your conversation. Love it. All right, there it is. Dr. Michael Gervais, high-performance psychologist. All right, Sam. That was a lot. <laughs> that was I mean, a lot. What did you, I mean, you go to a lot of classes here at USC. I'm sure yeah. you get loaded on. Well, I, yeah, I took a lot of notes, so uh, I'm going to look back on those. But um, just really quick, at the end there, when you just <clears throat> talked about letting it go, and I think that's something that um, I think everyone can get better at because um, we get so caught up and know oh, what do people think about us. And I think when we just let it go and, um, like Coach Carroll says, let it rip, uh, I think that's the best way to live life and the best way to play this sport especially. Um, so I just I loved how that was kind of the closing remarks there by him. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I was coaching here and then when I transitioned out of coaching, that's when I got to meet Dr. Gervais. And to be able to blend Pete's works and Mike's lifetime of you know, academic work, as well as their experiences to, to watch that's been cool so much so that even I was a broadcaster, I've got a process prior to every game, very similar to when I was a competitor as an athlete of like literally the mantra that I would say in my mind of, okay, the goal today, Yogi, do it better than it's ever been done before. Okay, next. All right, I'm in a relentless pursuit of a competitive edge as a broadcaster. This game. Okay, I'm going to make sure that I'm confident in my ability. I trust my preparation and I've got a unique focus. Okay, Yogi, you've earned the right to let it rip and compete yeah. freely. And literally, then I walk on air. So the point of like, I think the work of, you know, diving into what Mike just described of, okay, what is really the trigger to making you be your optimal best? I think that's the fun part to dive into. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think, um, he, you know, he, as we said before, he, he was saying a lot and um, I'm going to be interested and very curious to go back and listen to it again and be able to actually like take um, pretty clear notes and um, because, you know, you don't get the opportunity to talk to the world's leading high-performance uh, psych- sports psychologist. You know, it's it's such a great opportunity and for me to learn something from him. And I think for everyone who listened to this is <laughs> is going to be pretty uh, stoked for what they what they heard as well. So um, it was just such a such a great opportunity, and I think I did take full advantage of it. And I think that's kind of what life's about in a, in a, in a way. You're connected. <laughs> exactly. Always is. That's Sam Darnold and Yogi <laughs> Roth. We'll be right back with your tight end, Daniel Imantor Bebe in Rivalry Week as USC plays UCLA Saturday evening. Daniel, thanks for joining the podcast. First timer on the season of Sam Pod, man. Have you done a podcast before? I have not. Okay, I like it. All right, first timer. First time for everything. I want to know about the first time you saw Southern California. What was that like? Because you've lived in a couple different places in your life, yeah. and it all led back to here at some point. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw Southern California that I can remember uh, was probably when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, we grew up not having a lot of money, and my mom saved up uh, for as long as she could to take me and my brother on like this college tour. And the first colleges we got to see were UCLA and USC. And... Um, I remember us flying in, getting off the plane, and I was just like breathing the air, and I was like, dang, this is so different. Like, it's no humidity. Like, what is this? <laughs> There's no clouds in the sky. Like, these palm trees, like the mountains, like, it was just also expansive and like beautiful, you know? And I was just like, dang, like, it was just, I was just like, 
I was struck, like, you know what I mean, in awe, like, without just, like, the sheer beauty of this place. And, um, you know, we went to UCLA. We thought that was great. And then we went to USC, and we really just got, like, overwhelmed, you know, with how amazing of a school it was, the location, everything about the Trojan family. And uh, me and my brother kind of told ourselves that day that, like, we're going to do everything that we can possibly to try to come here, you know. And we're super grateful that it's worked out and, you know, even just – Walking here today, you know, I was just remembering just, like, how far, like, we've come from and just, like, how grateful I am to be here, you know, because it really was, like, a dream come true, and it's been a dream come true since. So. I love that. Well, I went back, you know, with our one of our lead researchers and producer, Katie Ryan, we dove into your Instagram page, and I came out with this picture, and it's a picture of the beach because all of you can't see this, and your caption was, can't really capture the beauty of this place in a picture, and it was April of 2013. Yeah. So was that on that trip? Yeah, that was that was on that trip. For sure. Wow. We went to, I didn't know it was Newport at the time, but I was just like, dang, like, this is sick. Like, yeah, it was awesome. Okay, so, but you you didn't come here. You went to Florida. Yeah. And then transferred. And I think it's interesting because you went to Florida mid-year, mm-hmm. went through spring, mm-hmm. and then after spring, was that when you were like, this isn't the right place for me to be? Yeah, I don't think it was as much of a thing like as like I didn't want to be there. I think it was more of a thing that I really wanted to be here because um, – if SC would have offered me out of high school, like, everyone close to me, everyone back home knows that, like, that's where, like, I really wanted to go, and I would have committed on the spot. But they were still going through their um, sanctions and scholarship reductions, and they only had, like, room for one tight end, and Tyler had already committed. And so, because um, I know I'd been talking with Coach T, Coach Two, and they're like, yeah, sorry, buddy, like, Tyler already got uh, the only spot we have. If we had another, you know, we would for sure, like, look at getting you. And I was like, dang. All right, so I had to choose out of the best options I had, and Florida was awesome. It was also like a, I loved Tim Tebow growing up. I loved the Gators. Like, they were so dominant, you know, so it wasn't like I wasn't happy there or anything. But, um, like, when I was there, like, Bryce Dixon um, got in trouble, and then Jay Cope also had to leave the team. And then suddenly, like, this, the, we only had, like, one tight end, I feel like, at the time, and it was, like, Connor Spears. And, like, they were waiting for Tyler to get there so they could have two. And um, that's when they started recruiting Josh, and Josh committed. And Josh was like, bro, like, come with me, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, and it was a hard decision at the moment because that's, like, a pretty grown-up decision you have to make when you're, like, 18, you know? And I was just like, dang, like, I can mess around and get everything I ever wanted or I could, like, you know, live the rest of my life, like, you know, maybe with a sense of regret, like, dang, what would have happened had I, had, you know, just kind of taken the leap in faith and went. And um, so I ended up doing it, and... uh you know, it's been it's been awesome ever since. I totally agree with you. And I, I'm from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and when I first came to California, I came to visit, and I was at USC as well, and it was mm-hmm. in the Coach Carroll era. Mm-hmm. I can remember calling my mom, and being like, "How come we didn't grow up here? Manhattan Beach, this place is crazy. Yeah. Like it was amazing." And and I saw another one, an image that uh, was up on USC's page around you guys, and you said your quote was, "In LA, everyone is always from somewhere else because everyone wants to be here." Yeah. And I thought the same thing at, yeah. at, at 19 when I visited L.A. for the first time of this is truly like the land of dreamers. Mm. I wonder if you agree with that statement. And if so, I'm curious what your dreams may be now that you've been here for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to best answer this question. Yeah, like I said that because like everyone I bump into here, like I'm always intrigued asking them like where they're from. You know, because it's like you find people from China, from India, from New York, from Atlanta, from Florida, from, 
you know, Minnesota. You know, it's not like that everywhere you go. Like, I know it wasn't like that in Florida. It's not like that in Georgia where you could just ask people, like, where are you from? And you'll get all these diverse backgrounds. So it's like they must be here for, for like, a reason. You know what I mean? Like, they must have some type of dream that they've been holding on to that they're, like, pursuing. And I just find that so, like, interesting just hearing people's heart on that, you know, because I know, like, I had a dream, like, coming out here, like, dang, like, I want to be in California, you know what I mean? I want to be at a place where, like, it doesn't feel like it's a job for me, like, where I get to wake up and be like, dang, like, I get to, like, you know, go to workouts here, like, I get to, like, be, like, in California, like, wow, like, what an honor, like, what a blessing, like, this is, you know, um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with that, that this, um, that this, for real, is, like, a land, like, of the dreamers, you know, especially USC and California, um, and I think it's super sick that, you know, me and so many others get to live out their dreams by just being here. I love that, I get to, that's a great phrase. I know that your head strength and conditioning coach, Ivan Lewis, uses that from time to time of the opportunities you guys have around here. Um, for you on the field, it's, it's been interesting, mm -hmm. right? Last year was a fun year, mm -hmm. you made some amazing plays. This year, there were some injury elements to you early on in the year. Mm -hmm. When you're going through that, because fans, we see who's playing mm -hmm. or we see who's not, but we don't necessarily see the gray matter in between that and the mm -hmm. space in between injury and getting back on the field. What was that time like for you to get healthy so you can perform for your teammates? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's a tough thing, you know, and if I'm being honest, like it's something I'm still going through now. You know, um, uh, like last year was awesome, you know, and it like, if anything, being hurt, like, or being compromised in what you could do makes you appreciate like what you could do before even more, you know? So it's like, I got, I think I first got her in like like late June. Um, yeah, late June, and I rehabbed for like five weeks, twice a day, because um, there was like this tear in my quad muscle. Rehab every day, twice a day for like five weeks. I lived in the training room, and uh, as soon as I got cleared to get back, practiced two days in camp, and at the end of camp, I was making like this really explosive cut, like making a move on the linebacker. And, as I'm running to get away, like, I feel it again, you know? And I was just like, man, in my head, I'm like, man, I hope this isn't, like, well, I think it is same leg, same um, same quad. And I was like, dang, you know? And um, the next day, like, I couldn't, it was like I was back to square one. I couldn't walk again. And it was just like, uh, the thing people don't realize, like, how hard it is, like, it's hard physically, but it's so also hard, like, mentally and, like, psychologically, you know what I mean? Like, just, like, dealing with stuff like that, because it's like, for me, I don't, I don't ever want to let my teammates down. I don't want to let my coaches down. I don't want them to look at me and be, like, disappointed. Like, dang, like, he could be helping us. He could be, you know, doing this. He could be doing that. You know, like, I wanted us to win. I want us to win so bad, you know. So all that, like, it was just super tough for me. And, like, I was just, like, at the point where I was, like, dang, I got to do whatever I can to get back on the field um, as fast as I can so I can help my brothers in whatever way I can, you know. And even now, like, I'm not feeling super great, but it's just, like, whatever I have, like, I have an obligation to give that to my brothers, whatever percentage that is, like, you know, and, um, you know, it's just been, it's been interesting, it's been tough, um, but it's also been cool because, like, it forces you to, like, I've been, like, I'm an upperclassman, and I've been with the guys at the top, like, playing in the games, doing the good things, you know what I mean? I've also been with the guys that, you know, aren't on the travel squad, the guys that feel dejected, the guys that are hurt, you know what I mean? And if anything, it's helped me grow like as a leader because it's like I see all these things from all these different perspectives now. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, like it's it's tough and it sucks, but there's still so much like cool things that comes out of it. 
um, which kind of almost makes it worth it because I feel like it's preparing me for something um, later in life that I don't even know what it's going to be. I feel like you've always seen life through a unique lens, whether it's, you know, I would moderate conversations for your team in the offseason around a bunch of different elements from entrepreneurship to sexual and domestic violence. I've been around you enough to, to at least get a glimpse into the way you see the world. And I think it's unique. I'm curious where you get that compassionate eye from. Um, being quite honest, like, I just, I know, like, my life was changed, like, when uh, I got saved, you know, and put my faith in Jesus, you know, and um, I I see things, like, I try to see things through, like, the eyes of, like, how my father sees them. I try to see people through, like, how God sees them, you know, and um that's really like honestly where I get my compassion and heart from because it's just like I try to love people and honor them and respect them the way God does, you know. And um, uh, it's it's an honor to get to do that here uh, amongst these people and just see people get touched by love. And you're right, like pe- some people don't like know how to receive it. They don't know how to where it's coming from. Like, oh man, why are you holding the door for me? Why are you you know buying my food for me? Like, what's wrong with you? And it's like I don't want anything from you, man. I just love you, dude. You know, like. Just loving people like without any strings attached. Um, that's incredible. Yeah, that's where I get it from. Love that. Well, this is a weekend where there's not a lot of love lost between UCLA and USC. Mm. This is a big rivalry game. Mm. What's it like for somebody who came from the East Coast and experienced this rivalry matchup for the first few times in your young career? Yeah, it's interesting because it's like I'm kind of like late to the party, you know, <laughs> and um, like. Since I've been here, I've been trying to figure out, like, oh, all right, this is the history. Oh, that happened then? Like, all right, cool, cool. You know, now, like, we're in it. Um, and I think the guys in my class are in a cool position also because, like, we haven't lost UCLA, you know? And I remember when we got here, Coach Sark would be yelling at the guys, like, that's why, like, y'all lost UCLA three years in a row, you know? And I was just like, dang, like, I don't want that to be us, you know? Um, so I think we're in a cool spot where it's, like, you know, if we win this year, like, we could continue saying, like, hey, like, we haven't lost UCLA, you know, like, and I think that's cool, because I remember, like, you know, like, the when the alumni come back, they're like, oh, yeah, we never lost to Notre Dame, we never lost to UCLA, like, it would be so cool to say that, you know, um, but from what I can understand so far, this is a rivalry that's based on, like, disrespect and, like, hate, you know, whereas, like, a rivalry like Notre Dame is more so based on, like, respect and, like, tradition and, stuff like that so it's just like knowing that coming into this week you just know you have to be smart because like emotions are going to be high like people are going to be saying stuff like you know in the game before the game you know so um that's just all stuff that you got to be aware of knowing what type of rivalry this is you said earlier that you've been with the starters making plays you've mm-hmm. also been with some guys that have been injured and not on the travel squad mm-hmm. i'm curious through all that what have you noticed from sam darnold um so like my first year here, uh, we both redshirted. Um, we spent a lot of time together because um, we were both redshirting, and he was actually like my next door neighbor. Um, and knowing him since then, uh, I noticed like Sam is like unapologetically himself, you know, and he's not. He doesn't like he's not gonna change for anybody, and he doesn't really want to, and he like. He, like, he cares about people, but, like, he doesn't, like, care, like, what they really think about him or what they say about him, you know? And that's something, that's a quality I, I admire, like, so much, like, that he has, you know? Um, we used to, 
we used to play basketball on the weekends, freshman year, like every weekend, me, him, Deontay, we'd go to the line center, just hoop, you know, and like, he's the same Sam then, same Sam now, same, like, when we were, uh, my freshman year when we were on the service team, like, the same throws he was making then, same throws he's making now, um, I just think he's super consistent, and I've just noticed, like, even, like, with the increased eye that's been on him, he's been getting all this attention, all this love, like, all this hype, you know what I mean? Like, even a lot of hate, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really phase him, and, like, I feel like he's handling it extremely well, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's, you know, his chest is puffed out, and he's like, yeah, like, where's the love, where's the attention? I need it, I need it, you know what I mean? Like, he'd rather, like, he'd rather not have it, but, like, he deals with it with such, like, grace, you know, and that's something I, I feel like that's so cool, and, like, um, he's a great, like, model for people to, like, look to, to like, how to handle all that. In the spring of 2013, you came out and visited Southern California for the first time. Now you're here as a USC Trojan, about to graduate with an undergraduate degree. You've been through great highs like the Rose Bowl, mm. lows like your injury. Curious what your mom, the woman who saved up for that ticket for you, mm. what type of advice she's given you through all of these highs and lows as you're pending a graduation from this institution? She's giving me so much advice, man. Um, I don't know. I feel like the best thing she's told me is just to just trust that everything that's going on is going to be for your good, you know, um, and to not take any of these moments for granted, you know. It would be easy for me. It would have been easy for me to, like, after the first game or after I got hurt again to be like, all right, like, I'm going to shut it down, you know. Like, uh, I'm not going to try to play anymore. Like, playing isn't hurting my injury. It's not going to help me for you know, scouts or whatever, like, it's not, you know what I mean? But, like, she was so big in reminding me, like, it's been your dream, you know, to play at USC, you know? So every time you get to put on that uniform, it's something, like, to be cherished, you know? So if you can, like, you should, you know? And um, I feel like that's been the best thing that she's told me through it all, just to cherish every moment, you know? Because one day you're going to look back and it's going to be just, like, one big memory, you know, and like I want to make the most of, you know, the time that I'm given here um, because I know it's not going to be forever. The clock has been ticking since the moment I stepped on campus as to like when my time's going to be up. So she's the big, the best thing I feel like she's told me is just to make the most of every moment. Um, oh, you definitely have. Thanks for coming out of the podcast, yeah. man. This is a blast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Daniel Lee Mentor Bebe here on the Season of Sam podcast. As always, this podcast is not possible without our team, led by executive producers Tim Teslow and Paul Goldberg, producer Katie Ryan, the editor Rich Rodriguez, director of social media Jordan Moore, and I'm your host, Yogi Roth. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Links to this show will be all over usctrojans.com and USC's Facebook page. Until we speak again, thanks for coming. I'm Yogi Roth. This is the season of Sam. Talk to you soon.